Welcome. Oh, waiting here. I can't tell. Hopefully, we're on. Welcome to the economic, the ActDev Network, on Wednesday, September the first. It almost feels like it's back to school. Uh, my name is Dan Taylor. I'm the economic development catalyst for the town of Innisfil. I'm taking a walk today, so that was a loud Camaro that just went. Fell into this profession and I was serving on a local economic development board, but I had a job out of town. Um, I didn't work in town. And um, the board decided to create a position. There had not been a position before. So when they decided to create a position, um, I was looking to get closer to home and just not be driving so much and start, was starting a family. So I took the position and then, 18 years later, here I am, and I've just been kind of, you know, doing this ever since, and so it's been a lot of fun. I can't, you know, say, I, I just, in economic was still, economic development in Texas was probably still um, just kind of coming onto the scene 20 years ago, and so a lot of people didn't know a whole lot about it and still for sure didn't know in the small communities what economic development was going to look like. So I feel like um, I'm somewhat of an anomaly because most people do leave and go to larger places, but the timing was just never right for me to do that and definitely had lots of opportunity, but um, just kids in school and different things going on. My husband's job, it just kind of kept us in our small area and so now here I am and I've loved it and I've loved the opportunity to just be able to grow grow my local community and so it's been a lot of fun and so here I am and now I've sort of turned the tide a little bit and I've recently left my economic development job and created my own company it's called the Rule Spark and I'm using that platform to sort of take all of my experience and educate other rural economic developers on um, just all the things rural, all the things that we do out here in rural Texas and sort of how how that looks and yeah so it's been a lot of fun and the first thing I did was was create a course for economic developers in small communities and so that has been going well and we recently this summer we had an event called the Summer Spark and I hosted four different speakers um, and sort of what we're going to talk about today is some of the takeaways from that event. Dan was one of our speakers, so <laughs> he was fantastic, of course. We enjoyed Dan. Oh, thank you so much, Jimmy. Looking, yeah. looking forward to hearing your, your takeaways. Is that where you wanted to go next? Sure, sure. Yeah, we can, we can jump into that. Um, if anybody wants to listen to the Summer Spark Challenge and our four speakers, you can do that on my website at therulespark.com. And under my blog post, you'll find a spot where you can go and listen to those. So anyway, but instead of recapping it all, I just sort of took some big takeaways from there. And um, yeah, so anyway, I'll just jump right in and kind of start with the first big takeaway, and of course we all know this, but leadership. You know, leadership is vital. If you want to start something amazing in your town, you need good leadership. So I know this, the, the follow-up question to that, we could have a whole session just on this topic, because the follow-up question is, well, what do you do if you don't have good leadership? <laughs> Where do you go from there? 
Um, but each program that we heard about, I think it took foresight, it took people opening, opening up and sort of trying something new, maybe something that hadn't been done before. And it took leadership that was willing to put some money behind the vision. And it took cohesiveness of people working together. Um, and we know, we know that's tough, but it is definitely doable. And um, you may have to get some thick skin or learn to go under and over and around some things and some people, but it's definitely doable. And we heard a lot about that during um, the summer spark. Jimmy, I'm, I'm wondering uh, on the topic of leadership, if maybe you could cover a little bit the different kinds. I know uh, in particular in some other discussions we've had uh, with Lara, you know, there's there's boards, there's political leadership. I think you're primarily talking about the economic development driver. I'm not sure. I'm wondering if you could touch on that a little bit as well. I think that might be interesting for our audience. Yeah. Well, you know, in Texas, the way we are set up is we, we have a board and the boards typically work for the city. The boards are appointed by the city council. So you typically just, you need good leadership on your board, but you also need good leadership on your city council. Um, in our local cities, a council is made up of five people and a mayor and so, and a city manager. So those people, we need everybody kind of working together for a bigger vision. And I think the leadership has to be able to see long-term because you know, most of what we do as economic developers, it's not just, it's, it's not something that we're going to see today or tomorrow. It's going to be down the road. And so you've got to have leadership that can see that long-term vision because it may take a while before your, even your return on investment comes back. So is that what you meant, Dan? Did yeah. I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Laura, I don't know if you want to chime in on leadership. I certainly know you've got a lot yeah, of experience there. Really yeah, you know, Jimmy, I'm kind of curious as to... What were some of the characteristics of a good rural leader that may have come out during your conversation? Probably just someone who is willing to try something that they may not fully understand. <laughs> um, but they're trusting in their um, economic developer or, you know, someone within that capacity. They're trusting those people with an idea because a lot of times as you know it just starts as an idea and you have sort of you don't always have that proof of concept but you've got to have people that can trust you and typically I think also some of those good characteristics are just good businessmen and women if they've run a successful business they are familiar with taking some risk and I think in economic development a lot of times the reasons that we get pushback sometimes is because we typically deal in high risk and nobody likes to be in the high risk business. They like to bet on something that's safe. And as you guys know, in economic development, it's, it's, we, we do our due diligence and we do the best we can, um, but it's not always a safe, a safe bet. And so you gotta have leadership that's gonna help you take that to the next level. That's great, Jimmy. Uh, that was nugget number one. What is nugget number two that you uncovered? Well, sort of, and, and Dan, you talked a lot about this, but we, we sort of heard a little bit of this throughout each of our speakers, was creating an ecosystem for startups. 
So whatever industry that you want to attract, you're going to need a supportive ecosystem. Um, so what the, the startups, startups are responsible for the growth of our communities and we need to do whatever we can to support them. Uh, but also back to my previous point, startups are typically high risk. And so we have to sort of create that ecosystem that helps lower the risk for our communities. And that may be um, raising capital, um, renovating buildings so that there's um, spaces for them. You know, it's, it's gonna look different for everybody, but being able to really work with your startups is certainly important. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I've really had two quite different experiences in startups. As, as you know, currently we're in the software tech-based startup industry which is you know uh, really exciting because i mean i believe that's where the future is going i don't think anybody needs any convincing about that yes. and um but uh you know technically our community i think has no business being in that business we've literally we're creating something from nothing so it's almost like a double high risk in a way however I think as as we all know you know um, these kind of startups if you have success uh, can actually scale up and you could get one that ends up creating a hundred or a thousand jobs for that matter um, and then um, and we're rural uh, which is the part where I'm saying we, we sort of have no business in it and, and uh, yeah but uh, I my other rural experience uh, was and I didn't really realize I was part of building an ecosystem. What was building uh, what I called gastronomy, but really food and beverage and tourism, right? So wine, uh, chefs, uh, grow local. Yeah. And, and what I can tell you is, in that case, we did have business being there because it was a tourism area and it was rural and agricultural. So like, it, like it, strategically, it made a whole lot of sense and what I could tell you now, because it's been 20 years, is so what I did was I felt I was sort of standing on the shoulders of giants and building on what was already there. And once we hit critical mass, and I, and I said this probably after I left, and I meant uh, and still don't mean any disrespect from the, the new economic development people that followed me, but it almost, when it hits critical mass, it does not really need a whole lot of economic development, government support or intervention uh, mm -hmm. because because it is the economy you know what I mean and there's this critical mass which is which is really exciting so I think this whole idea of ecosystems if you if one can be successful in building them um, it's really powerful for a community yeah definitely um, I would agree with you on that uh, Dan for sure so one of the next points that I was going to talk about was that conversations matter. That was kind of another thing that came out of our discussion. And Al Alana Proust talked quite a bit about the network bias and how to overcome that because we're really bad about talking to the same people that we always talk to. And, you know, if we're trying to build a program to help maybe the underserved, then you need to bring those people to the table. And so I loved that uh, discussion about that because 
we need everybody involved in the process. So um, we need to be talking to those people. And so th those conversations matter. Sometimes we think that we know what everybody thinks, especially in small communities, because we've been here forever and we've talked to different people, but we, and so we think that we know, but we don't always know what's going on. And so breaking down those barriers is really important to a successful rural development program and in any program and in, in a city of any size, but especially in our small communities. Wonderful. Um, Lara, uh, you and I have talked about like networking events and, uh, yeah. and communication. I'd love to hear your take on just sort of the, you know, conversation for lack of a better word. Yeah. You know, and I think too often we look internally for those conversations internal to our community, internal to our, um, our initial networks. And I think one thing that, and this is probably specifically true for rural economic developers, is to look beyond your, your comfort of your yes. network. Yes. And to really look at stretching and trying to find those opportunities to connect with people nationally and internationally. And I know that can be often very difficult on limited budgets to go to national conferences and, and spend those funds. But, you know, even being here on Clubhouse, for example, is a great way to connect nationally and internationally with individuals in our profession. Absolutely. And sometimes it's not even just the budget that we have to get past. It's convincing someone that we need to go. And that sounds crazy, I know, but even just to go to the next city over and, you know, convincing your board to spend a little bit of money to send you to a, a statewide conference is one thing, but then it, you're going to leave the state? Oh my gosh. And then you're, get, you're we're never going to get to leave the country. Forget that. <laughs> because they're never, they can't always see the value in that, but it brings so many resources to the table. And, it's fantastic and if you can pull another person to go with you like a board member or a city council member i mean the value there is no return on investment just because it's so large like it's like you can't even put a value on it so but yeah that it's tough it's really tough to sell that in our small towns oh and i love that idea of taking board members with you one of the things that i've done a couple of times is with the national main street conference for example um, sending a board member from the commercial district or from the community to the national conference so that they're also hearing what other communities are doing and they come back as energized as the staff does so yes. they want to take it one step further and then they almost become the the evangelizer yes <laughs> you're so right but convincing right? them to go is so hard you know what's interesting, and I'm not even sure why. I mean, I've spent uh, half, a little less than half my career now because I keep getting older uh, in the, in the private sector, and a little bit more than half in uh, economic development and, and in business. Right? You you travel, right? You you go out of state, you go out of country, and it's part of networking, actually doing business, sales, etc. One of the things that I found when I was in Prince Edward County is uh, as we were building up our 
profile, meaning not the public profile, but our portfolio, if you will, of, of the economy. Um, I actually went to the West Coast, uh, so it's in the East Coast, and, and uh, to British Columbia, and um, to, uh, I can't remember what it's called, it's, anyway, it's, it's the main island off of Vancouver. And it was well known for having this uh, creative rural economy, which is something that we'd really wrapped our head around. So I was really excited to network and have like informal case study learning. Uh, what, and what I learned was while there were a lot of interesting businesses there, we were so much more advanced, which is neither good nor bad. Perspective, the perspective was black. Oh, Dan, you're starting to crack up. Oh, am I still there, or did I, or? Even better right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm walking, my apologies. Anyway, so my, my point is that um, perspective, by getting out of your own shadow, uh, can be one of the main benefits beyond the obvious, like networking, making relationships, that kind of stuff. Very true, Dan. Um, so my... I'll move on to my number four, my point, my, my fourth point, get it all out here, um, tongue-tied this morning, Stop to stop doing economic development the way that we've always heard that it should be done. So traditionally, economic development was all industrial, and you, you know, you bring the, the big company, they're going to do a hundred jobs in your industrial park, and all is right in the land. <laughs> So um, one of the things that we heard from everybody was just don't be scared to do something different. Change it up and go out and find businesses that you would like to bring to your community and bring them there. You know, even if you have to do it in a different way. And we talked a lot about this with Dan Byerly. And we talked a lot about um, the potential of even buying a business and bringing it to your community. So it's a very interesting conversation. You'll have to go and listen to that. Um, but also you can do it with working with your existing businesses on a succession plan and just just lots of different things. But economic development, it looks different for every city, big or small. But I think sometimes in our small towns, you know, we feel like um, stepchildren if we can't do it on a grand scale. But it, it doesn't matter. Like whatever needs to be done in your community is just what needs to be done. If you have to start with cleaning up downtown, well, that's where you have to start. You know, if you have to start with um, raising capital or even as basic as consensus, getting everybody on the same page, that may be where you have to start in, in your economic development program and just not being afraid um, to start wherever you need to start and um, let economic development look how it needs to look in your town. Well, I love hearing that, Jimmy, because you know, I recently was talking to a community and they said, well, you know, how have you done economic development? And I said, you know, it's, it's not how I've done it, it's how I'm going to do it for you. Because the reality is, every community has a different set of assets. And yes. a good economic development program, one that is sustainable, is based on those communities' assets. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. So I didn't go to economic development school. I'm not sure if you did either, Lara. Um, but I think, Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but these are fundamentals, right? Like this is business 101. I know 
uh, when again back to Prince Edward County, it was a rural tourism area that needed help on shoulder season in particular. Uh, and I think our council basically wanted me to bring General Motors to a place that doesn't have a labor force. It's off the off the transportation roads. Probably doesn't have the electrical grid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, to your point, I mean, right? Like economic development is not necessarily about attracting uh, traditional industry anyway. There's nothing. Um, Jamie, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, because I, I think as we all know, 60 to 65 percent of all economic development is retention and expansion. Um, what what role have you played? How have you found boards and council responded to that, to that idea? Well, typically in our smaller communities, um, they're very receptive to helping the current businesses that are there. Um, so business retention and expansion is always, the retention part is easy, the expansion part is not always as easy because you're having to convince, you know, and work with the business owners on the possibilities of what could be. And so that's not always as easy, but um, retention is usually pretty favored. Um, we always try, if, especially if we're going to incentivize anything, to be tying it to something where they're expanding their capital or they're expanding their equipment or they're expanding their employees or something um, in order to incentivize something. But sometimes, especially now that we've been in COVID season, um, some of that has just been about just simple sustainability, you know, and helping them sustain through this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And we've invited Will up. Uh, Will has a, a rural background. Will, is there any question or, or anything you want to share with us? Yeah, I think um, similar to you, Dan, I sort of have a mix here. Um, I'm currently working in a, in a larger municipality in the lower mainland, uh, close to Vancouver. But uh, previously, I was uh, the economic development manager for the city of Merritt, which is in the BC interior. Um, I was wondering, um, Jimmy, maybe if you could speak a little bit about those, um, the partnerships we're talking a little bit about, uh, businesses, getting them on board, um, and uh, the role that some of the nonprofits play when we're talking about economic development to the neighborhood associations, um, you know, and building that uh, ecosystem um, that really supports uh, the business retention that we're talking about and the business attraction. If you can speak on that, if, if that was covered by... Uh, by the, um, the course that you did? Well, we didn't talk about it a whole lot in the, um, well, I shouldn't say that. Alana Prius, she wrote a book um, called Recaster City, and I do think that she touches on that because she talks about bringing, you know, bringing everybody to the table. And I know here on Clubhouse, Laura has talked a lot about that as well, um, bringing everybody to the table and sort of leveraging different things uh, from different organizations. In, in our part of Texas, we work a lot with regional associations. So like our regional council of governments, or our regional workforce center, um, not so much with just say local nonprofits. Like we don't have a lot of local nonprofits that are in the business arena per se. Um, but certainly if we need to lean on them for different things, we can. Uh, but we work more with our regional and associations and statewide associations on just trying to leverage their grants and workforce and 
um, staff people uh, for resources. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it does, and it's very interesting to um, to listen to what you're what you're saying. Uh, the community that I um, previously moved from, there was quite a bit of collaboration uh, between the local nonprofits and uh, the business community. And I, um, you know, uh, an example is, uh, you know, the cafes that we have, uh, um, the arts council would be involved with uh, different uh, uh, art displays there and pop-up uh, farmers markets. So the, the nonprofits, whether it's the, the farmers markets, the arts councils and co-op working spaces, they would work in partnership with the businesses in order to extend the hours of operation, to extend the length of stay that um, that either visitors or uh, locals are staying at the businesses. Um, and there, there was quite a uh, quite a collaboration there. So it's uh, interesting to, to hear, um, you know, the difference between our communities, uh, looking at the regional versus local level and uh, what that ecosystem looks like. Yeah, I do love that though. I love what you're saying. I wish that we had a few more of those organizations in our community. Now, I'm not gonna say they're not in neighboring communities that are a little bit larger than ours, um, but definitely our business communities are very involved in, of course, all of the nonprofits, but um, the way that we're talking about, you know, business retention and expansion, not, not exactly like what you described, but I do love that. Um, I do love that for sure. And I know like we've talked some with Dan about co-working spaces and things of that nature and those would definitely be a way to support um, support that ecosystem. That's great. Jimmy, you kind of teased this a little bit. Uh, I'm wondering if you could elaborate a touch. You mentioned something about uh, one of the folks you were talking to about buying a business and I, gu <laughs> I guess relocating it. That's a... Uh, that's out of the box and sounds That's quite out of the box. And, and, it is. and quite <laughs> quite radical. I, I think without knowing more, I have mixed feelings, but I love the innovation. Tell tell us what you think you can tell us. Well, um, you can listen to the full conversation if you want on my website, but for sure, you you have to build it to scale, um, and that would depend. You know, you don't want to break the bank. Um, you definitely. There's a lot of businesses out there that are for sale. So if you were to contact a business broker, a lot of those businesses are for sale and they could be a match for your community. And it might be possible to partner, um, maybe partner with someone or to bring it, I shouldn't say like you're just purchasing it and bringing it to your community. That's very black and white. But you could, um, it may be a business that matches up with another business in your community. So it might be an expansion opportunity for them. Like, and you could go to that business and you could say, hey, this business is for sale. Um, take a look at this. It matches up with your workforce and what you do. And it would be an expansion possibility for you. And, you know, you could match. You could be a matchmaker that way. Um, in sort of, it would have to be something that aligns with your community, that you've got the infrastructure and the workforce and um, to support it. You know, you wouldn't want to just bring in something that didn't fit your community at all. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it and a lot of different ways to finance it. And um, like in Texas, our economic development organizations, we can't own a business per se like that. So you would have to have another 
maybe industrial foundation or something that could potentially um, own a business if you were just going to buy it and bring it to your community and set it up. Ideally, um, the big question is exit strategy. We talked a lot about that and having an exit strategy before you even bring it to the community, you know, so you've already got a way that your organization is going to get out. You know, you're not, you're not buying it permanently. You're, you're just a catalyst in getting it to your community. That's really interesting. So you've, you've sort of sparked, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, <laughs> you sort of sparked uh, a thought. So what I really like was maybe the economic development group could be, as you said, this matchmaker where perhaps you identify X number of businesses that are for sale that might be a good fit that either are expansion oriented or just like complement your sectors that you have. Mm -hmm. yes. And then um, almost having like a, an investor recruitment campaign, meaning seeking investors within your community who are looking for yes. opportunities, right? Yes, that's and, definitely one way to structure it. Yeah, and then third, right, is to figure out how to broker any financing. So, yes. so where you're really a classic economic developer in that you're facilitating and you're not getting into the ownership, which, as you know, has, has got good, bad, and ugly components to it. Um, yes. Anyway, this is fascinating. I'd never, I'd never even thought of something like that. Yeah, so. and the reason that we get into the conversation is because my fellow economic development friend, Dan Byerly, they sort of fell into this by accident, and they recruited a business. It had an owner, <laughs> and they recruited this business to their community, and then it fell apart, and so the economic development organization and the local bank had a lot invested and they didn't want to see it go under and so the you know he himself stepped in <laughs> which is very untraditional uh, but he stepped in to help them run this business get it back on track um, and there was a lot of other things that went into it but basically they saved the business and in return the owner of that company, I think before they stepped in, he basically just turned it over to the EDC and the bank and said, make it, you know, like, I'm out. <laughs> and so they ended up running it and getting it back on its feet. And, and then I think they sold it to the employees, and so it became employee-owned. And so it all worked out in the end, but um, it sort of created this idea of kind of working backwards, you know, and how that could be potentially, you could do that on purpose, you know. Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I understand that specific example. I, I have really mixed feelings. In fact, I'll share, uh, I, I kind of did what I what I don't preach. Um, <laughs> is So, again, in Prince Edward County, during the beginnings of the whole local food movement, we had a lot of local food. And there was a lot of demand in the city of Toronto, a couple, two and a half hours away. But there was no, um, there was no distribution. So I kind of got, um, uh, not fed up, impatient for lack of a better term. And we ended up setting up our own distribution arm, not a company, but an arm. And I'm quite entrepreneurial and quite ambitious. And you know what, I, 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 against my better judgment, um, uh, w w we did it. And it was a bad idea. <laughs> and it was a bad idea because I just don't know how the government 
can really run private sector businesses effectively, even if you're entrepreneurial, etc. Because there's so many other variables. So, uh, I I uh, I think uh, while I understand your example, I certainly would um, enter that realm with caution. Absolutely. For Absolutely. sure. <laughs> La- Lara, I don't know if you've ever seen anything similar to that. I'd be curious. I really haven't. Um, other than, you know, co-working spaces or incubator spaces that end up being owned by an economic development entity. Um, but I haven't seen them go into private industry. I know there's been a lot of conversations as of late on helping to become owners of cold storage to help with supply chain issues. Um, But I haven't seen anyone pull the trigger and actually do that yet. Doesn't mean it hasn't been done. I just haven't seen it. Yeah, it's probably, uh, I really, I'm a big believer in government should probably focus on government-y things and figure out how to facilitate the private sector activity. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, we don't really want to be in the business. We just want to facilitate for sure. Um, But it might be in our small communities, it might be a way to get, you know, if done correctly. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration, but there may be some ways to bring industry into your community through that. Yeah, absolutely. I know there was some other learnings. Did you want to get into those at all, or did you want to cover something else off, Jimmy? Uh, sure. Um, I can jump into a couple more of these. Um, one of the things we talked quite a bit about was companies are moving to places where employees want to live. And so kind of as a small community, like what does that look like? And um, taking a look at your downtown, um, if your downtown's thriving, it's a good indication a good indication that maybe that your town is thriving if it's not thriving what can you do um, to sort of re reinvent that reinvent your downtown and how can you bring small scale manufacturing downtown to occupy buildings um, but creating creating an environment that employees want to live in because workforce is so hard to find that companies are following their workforce and one of the things one of the things that happened in the community that I was in is we had a bunch of guys working for a community or working for a business that was in Austin and we're about five hours from Austin and we had a bunch of guys that worked for this company and so they might be home on the weekends but come Monday morning they all shipped out for the week to work in the Austin area and so at one point one of the guys was back in town and he was talking to me about space he's like my gosh my kitchen table is covered with papers and I got to get out my my wife's gonna kill me I've got to get out of the kitchen you know (laughs) do you guys have any spaces and I was like yeah we have space come on up and take a look around blah 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 and fast forward we got to talking about I was like how many how many guys how many of our local men are working for this company and he was like I don't know 20 30 you know we're we keep hiring more they were always hiring and so I was like, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had a satellite office here in town for you guys? And you, I mean, I'm happy to rent you a space, but wouldn't it be great if y'all had an office here? And we just started kicking this, this idea around and it grew and it grew. And so we took it to his boss and 
you would think in a place like Austin, it's a really big city in Texas, of course, that they would have plenty of workforce. But they didn't have the right workforce that this company needed. And of course, there's a lot more people competing for that workforce. And so every time one of our guys went to work for them, they recruited their friends and more people went to work for them. So fast forward, we convinced them. It didn't take much convincing at all because they wanted to make their employees happy. And one of their big downfalls was they had to drive so far to get to work. So they put a satellite office in, in our community and it's done phenomenal. It's still there. They grow it like every year. They're adding more buildings, more equipment. They use it for more and more training. And so this concept, we kind of have to think about this, like as far as companies reaching out to where their employees live and it, it's an untapped market in a way. So if you have a fluctuation of people who are leaving your community during the week to go to work somewhere else, think about bringing those companies to your community. There could be opportunity there. You know, so that's really interesting. How, like, uh, and, and sorry if I missed it. it. How did you discover that situation? And then maybe, is it scalable? How do we find out uh, about, like, employees that are I guess working remote uh, and in some level of I don't know about scale but you know more than one kind of thing any any thoughts or experience on that well you know we kind of knew it's kind of one of those things we knew but we just you just know it and you're not really you're not thinking about capitalizing on it it's like we knew because many of like my friends it was their husbands that were leaving and we knew that a lot of times that these women were home during the week with the kids um, so we kind of just knew it and we knew there were several of them, but I guess even myself, I didn't know there were quite so many. And so until we started having that conversation, um, so I don't know, maybe put it out on social on your local page and say, Hey, you know, uh, or I don't know, just, just conversations, you know, it kind of comes back to conversations, but there's probably some more, um, there's some better ways I'm sure to uncover this yeah yeah I have sort of two thoughts on that I, I uh, I'm gonna try and come back to this but wh where you started right was uh, I'll, I'll use the term like quality of place I'm I'm not so much anymore but I was during his heyday uh, a bit of a student of Richard Florida you know which is have quality of place and when you have quality of place it'll attract the labor force the workers and then the companies will come to where the workers are not not unlike what you what you just described mm -hmm. what i found in our rural area is while we did have a certain quality of place we were really fortunate in our investment attraction in terms of attracting like wineries and, and restaurants and chefs is as we were successful in building that cluster it was less the municipality or the local government building amenities, you know, like uh, sports arenas or, or parks or, or what have you. And it was the private sector that was building these attractions and amenities. And that became a self-feeding thing. So I couldn't agree more that absolutely you have to build quality of place. And if you're a rural area that maybe has limited resources, you know, how do you tap the private sector to build them not necessarily for the community but for their own business but by default it becomes you know community amenities so i don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on that not per se not exactly will were you going to say something or were you clapping <laughs> clapping and uh had a comment after after you finished there <laughs> no you go you go ahead perfect i i think as well um 
going back to something that you mentioned before, uh, Jimmy, about um, the the labor labor force and the the term, at least in in the West Coast here, uh, there's a term uh, hidden homeless when we're talking about um, you know uh, homeless populations count. I'm not sure if the term hidden labor force is is used at all, but um, I I think of an example in a rural community I work with. Um, around uh, a mill closure that had quite an effect on the community. But what it did is it spurred entrepreneurship. So uh, the community that I was working with um, had a lack of tourism products available for for all the uh, tourists that were coming in. So quite a few of these uh, older fellows that that previously worked for the mill um, looked at uh, entrepreneurship for the hobbies. They were entering into retirement and um, there, there was businesses that popped up uh, because of this mill closure, uh, uh, individuals started uh, taxidermy companies, millwrights, blacksmiths, leather making, in order to meet the need of uh, the tourist products. Uh, tourists were coming in, uh, but just uh, not, you know, being able to bu- purchase the uh, products that they were looking for when they were they were coming. So I think you know the hidden labor force, and uh, I'm not sure if down in the U.S. Uh, there's a a concept called men's shed. I know we have that in Canada here, and it's uh, where um, older older folks that are mostly trades trades guys and uh, ladies can go in and uh, have a common working space. But it's really focused around sharing equipment and uh, machinery that um, that they can use uh, in a, in a common space. So just wanted to comment that and um, yeah, talk a little Absolutely. bit about this. Uh, Hidden labor force. I, I love that, and I love the um, the concept of the hidden labor force. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but basically, like in our case, we had a labor force that we I shouldn't say that we didn't know we had, like, but this other company like saw this labor force, and we we talked pretty extensively about it when they were coming to our area. They were like, we can't find people in this area who will do the work like your guys your workforce it's they work harder they don't mind working outside they don't mind doing this type of work but we can't find this in our area and i'm like y'all are in a huge area it's kind of crazy that y'all can't find this but we just took it for granted because you know that's just what we do out here and so yeah hidden workforce i love labor force i love that concept that was kind of the the next part that I wanted to talk about, and I, I don't I don't have an answer, and I don't think any of us do. Although, please chime in if anyone does. Is so I think what I'm hearing is an opportunity for us is to understand our labor force in a in a I don't know about granular, but definitely in a bit more detail. We did a labor force study about three years ago, and it, I don't think it gave us the the granularity that that. We're, we would need that we're talking about today but if you could see I'm just going to make up a bad example let's say you had 20, 30, 40, 50 like um, like Disney like animators that lived in your community that would really give you a leg up on on trying to recruit you know um, uh, an animation studio or, or, or a branch or a, you know that kind of thing I, I other than having conversations, I'm not sure that data gives that, but I think you're, you're right. Maybe it's social media, Jimmy, and having conversations, or I, I don't know, maybe getting creative in some kind of outreach campaign, right? To find out, like, who are you, and what do you do, and who do you work for, right? Well, but even back to Will's point, you know, these are people with hobbies, 
you know, how we don't typically survey people's hobbies, but yet when they see that there's an opportunity to make a little bit of extra money, you know, they, they rise up, you know, here's the guy who does the taxidermy or does the leather work or the woodwork or whatever. Um, the, those little trinkets that tourists buy, you know, that's fantastic that will, that your community was able to jump in and, um, create those things because that's why we do what we do. I mean, that's why you bring the tourists to town. So they're going to buy something. So, um, I'm glad you were able to find people to, to build those, but I don't know. I don't know how you survey them, Dan. I don't either. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just think there's a, you know, in this age of data and, uh, intelligence and uh, information gathering, um, I just somehow, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing an opportunity. I don't quite know how to pull it off yet, but it, it's, uh, I think your specific example of just having conversations and all of a sudden having this cluster of labor and then being able to attract a, you know, a satellite office is amazing. I could see, I think there's got to be other ways to scale that for lack of a better term. Yes. Yes. And probably just, there's a lot of untapped opportunities that we're probably all missing because even on a smaller scale, you know, I think this company had about 30 guys working for them, but even on a smaller scale, if it was 10, you know, um, I would do something to help a company put a satellite office there for 10 people, you know, that would be a big deal in a small community. Absolutely. Will, did you have something else you want to say? I noticed your mic was off for a bit. Um, oh, just uh, just talking about that uh, cluster development when, uh, Dan, you mentioned the example of uh, having the uh, graphic designers there with the, uh, um, you know, around the, the animation, you know, that, that just goes back to how we started the conversation with, uh, you know, Business 101. If we if you can identify in your community that you have a cluster of a particular uh, sector, uh, it's so much easier to help with business attraction when you can share that uh, these folks are already in the community with those skill sets. It's uh, you, you have a, a step ahead uh, instead of building that. Yeah, and you know what? I guess I'm 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 missing my own experience. So <laughs> so when I um. When I moved to Prince Edward County, I moved there because I was interested in growing grapes to make high quality wine. And there were other people like that that attracted me there in the first place. And in fact, it was exactly what we're talking about, but it wasn't invisible. There was, I don't know, call it a handful, a dozen-ish people all experimenting with grape growing, but there was not an in industry there yet. so. They were self-organized, um, and then uh, I leveraged the self-organization, my knowledge of that opportunity, and the broader knowledge, and created a whole investment attraction campaign that said, hey, you could grow grapes here. There are other people doing it. We wrote a book on the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We held... Uh, live uh, workshops with other experts from around the region and um, and so yeah I, I guess I did what I'm talking about intuitively because it wasn't hidden although it certainly wasn't like super super exposed so I'm sure there's other opportunities like that you just it's like um, in the 80s when I was at university they called it uh, management by walking around right you got to know your your assets back to lara's question right and talk is know your assets and then figure out how to leverage them and market them interesting uh anything else jimmy that you want to share as part of your learnings 
Well, um, one of the things that I added to my list is just do one thing, you know, because a, a small win can help build momentum quickly and it can be overwhelming, especially in small communities when you look around and you see so much that needs to be done that sometimes you don't know where to start or you find yourself being pulled in several directions. Um, so just starting with one thing and kind of starting small and sticking with that one thing. And it's hard because people want to pull you in different directions. But if you can get everybody on board and you can invest your time and your money into one thing and try to get that one thing going, whether it's a program or it's a, you know, the renovation of a building or if it's the, you know, bringing in of a specific kind of business um, projects, they take a long time. But if you can just get that one thing going and it, it makes a big impact and it, it drives the momentum and sometimes one thing it just doesn't feel like it's enough you know because people want to they want to see that you're doing so much more but if you get these foundational things done and done correctly it's it's a win it's a big win for your community yeah I mean I couldn't agree more um, about two or three years ago uh, we went to our council in Innisfil to really make uh, you know some strategic economic development recommendations and our community is actually a, a, also a tourism community um, but we were really trying to develop a high high wage um, high skilled um, well in fact there's a lot of those people in our labor force but but not in our economy and so I um, I made a recommendation to council that although tourism was important, uh, any incremental dollars and resources that we do go towards kind of this higher wage, higher skill stuff. And if they really wanted tourism, which I'm not against by any means, I have a background in tourism, that that would require a different extra human resource and an extra budget, and that I was not recommending that as phase one priority. Um, I think because of the way I framed it, we, we got support. And I know personally that if we had brought tourism in under our fold, I feel like we would have been spread thinner and probably not done as good a job on tourism or the things that we're focusing in on right now. So I think you're right, you know, pick a focus, make that happen, get it off the ground, build momentum, and then perhaps take on other things. Is that part of the thinking as well, Jimmy? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and get some success, you know, with that one thing. Because if you spread yourself too thin and you don't get anything accomplished, then people are mad because you didn't get anything accomplished. Yeah. But I feel like as an economic developer, that's sort of the, the pull, maybe the yin and the yang. It's like you're, you know, you want to get this one big thing done, but it's taken a long time. So you find yourself branching off into these little things and it steals your attention. It takes your money, you know. Yeah. So just trying to stick to that one thing. Absolutely. Well, go ahead, Lara. I think the really important one thing, too, is putting together your plan. Because you're right, Jimmy, it's so easy to get distracted by the new shiny thing or whatever the priority of the day happens to be. But really documenting what you want to accomplish by developing annual work plans is another way to really make sure that you're staying focused and on track because as economic developers everything comes at us and so you know i think one of the most important things we can do is make sure that we're 
staying consistent with our plan and holding true to the work that we've set out to do without being consistently distracted. Oh, Lara, you sound like a leader, which is how we kicked off this whole conversation. I love it. I love it. That is leadership, vision, strategy, plan, focus, stick to the plan, unless COVID or something else throws a big thing at you and then you reevaluate. That's great. Well, listen, it's been a fast and furious hour. I can't believe we're almost done. Um, before wrapping up, I don't know if Jimmy, Lara, Will, or anybody else has any final comments. Certainly we'll take them and then we'll, we'll just do our final closing uh, comments. Yeah, I just want to thank you guys for having me. And I just wanted to remind everybody, because we had some folks come on, um, you can find my top 10 takeaways that we talked about today at therulespark.com. I have it in a blog post. And you can also listen to the four speakers that we had. So if you, if you heard something and you want to hear a little bit more about it, um, one of our speakers talked about it. So just jump on my website, therulespark.com, and you can find it all there. Well, thanks, Jimmy. It was super great having you. I'm going to pass it over to you in a moment, Laura. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. It's really great to drill down a little bit and talk about rural, which has a lot of different um, issues than midsize and and, um, micropolitans even and and big metros. we, I'm actually, uh, I'm going to be a mini Bob and uh, be on sabbatical for the next three sessions, but we have a new format, newish format on Fridays that Lara will talk about. And maybe you could share uh, what's coming up and anything else you want to wrap up with Lara. That would be great. And Jan, since I'm not a moderator, will you bring April up to the stage? Um, for those of you who are not familiar, April is in Louisiana and Baton Rouge and would love to kind of hear from her how things went over the last few days. Um, also what's coming up. So on Friday, we're going to have an open chat on business development, best practices. What are we seeing? What are the trends? So you definitely won't want to miss that conversation. And then next Wednesday, we're going to talk universal income. This has been, um, a topic that's been ongoing for a long time. And we have an expert from Canada who will be joining us to talk about that. And then last but not least, next Friday, or the Friday of September 10th, we want you to bring your challenges to our Let's Talk conversation. And let's see if we can help you develop some solutions to them. So with that, um, I'm gonna try to invite April up and see if she's able to join us. She may be only able to listen, but if she can, I'd love to hear from her. I did try and bring her up, but I don't know. Okay. Yeah. She may be away, but um, we'll definitely try to get April to chat with us on Friday to hear how things went during the hurricane. So thank you, everyone. This is a really great conversation again. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.